and welcome to Zorro Month here at the Fire and Water Podcast Network. This is a Zorro-tastic, oh yeah, I said that, Zorro-tastic episode of Digest Cast, a podcast dedicated to the belief that big things come in small packages. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Fox. Along with me is my co-host, the esteemed Roberto Diego de la Kelly. Together, we are known as the Pied Pipers of the Man Children, and we are proud members of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. How you doing, amigo? That's all I got. Wow. Audio effects. That's clever. Well done, sir. <laughs> so you counted all the way up to three. Do you have to take your shoes off to get that high? Or? I'm naked right now, Shaq. <laughs> so I got to tell you, I have either listened to all of the uh, Zorro Month episodes or been part of them. So I've, I've, at this point, I've, I've, been part, I've heard all of them except for this one. So th- we got a high bar to catch up with here, buddy. So I, I hope we can pull it off because tomorrow's episode, folks, which is all about the 1950s Zorro TV show, the Guy Williams show, uh, and Chris um, Chris Franklin leads us through it. I, Chris, <laughs> yeah, I said Chris yeah, Williams. Start forgetting Chris's name. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Chris shared with me privately a, po- a picture of himself with a sword just recently. And sure, so, uh, yeah. and I, you'll, as you'll find out tomorrow, folks, I have a pretty large affection for Guy William. So I think I conflated the two. And, uh, Chris, just take that as a compliment, buddy. Anyway, so I know tomorrow's episode is also quite good. So we, uh, I, I, we're, we're going to have fun here, but I, I hope we can live up to the tradition, sir. I just listened to the, the comics episode that you did, uh, with Max and Ryan. Oh, and I, well, thank you. And, uh, and I, Max revealing on the air that he has a Zorro cape that he had from childhood and he still has it to this day. I, I feel like even if there was nothing else, the Zorro month was worth it just to learn that. <laughs> just amazed. Uh- Max was a blast on that episode. And by the way, he, that episode you did on the Marcus Zorro movie with Max and Chris was just phenomenal. That was great. I've never seen that movie. So now I really want to see it. I'm so glad they were there because I was not great on that show, I didn't think. So <laughs> thank goodness. Are you really great on any there. of them, Rom? Are you great well, on that's any a, of them? that's a good point. Uh, but the, <laughs> luckily, Chris and Max were there to to carry the ball uh, forward and, and bring that show home, if I may mix my metaphors. Awesome. Well, today, folks, yes, this is uh, not that you could tell by any of the conversation yet, but yes, this is still Digest Cast, I promise. Because uh, you know, a lot of people may not realize this, but there are some Zorro Digests. They're not printed by any of the companies we've really spent any time talking about. They are published by Paper Cuts, which is a publishing company which traditionally publishes a lot of books for uh, the younger market. In fact, our good buddy, David Gallagher, his Only Living Boy and Only Living Girl was published through Paper Cuts as well. So you should, right. you should, you should be checking those out. So these Zorro books, uh, they are initially published as comics and then collected as trades. There are, they advertised four of them. I've only ever seen three. I don't know if the fourth one ever actually came out. But, yeah, I uh, couldn't find it. I did look around and I couldn't find it. I saw the cover, yeah. but I've never found anything else. So yeah, I bet that it never came out. Yeah. So you can find these in, I, I got these myself in, oh wow, the price stickers on the back. I got these at one of my favorite comic shops. I got these at Cosmic Monkey in Portland, Oregon. I must have picked these up with when I, when I was hanging out with Nicholas Brom. And, uh, you can buy them in all, I've seen them in my public library, uh, like just locally right here in my neighborhood. I, they have these right now. You can get them in comic shops, you know, all over the place. So look for these Zorro trade paperbacks, uh, little, little digests by paper cuts. We'll talk more about it in just a second. And one of the things I love, Rob, is the trade dress. You know, paper cuts, their logo, they, they emphasize the, in, instead of an S at the end, it's a Z. And so here they really emphasize the Z in the top left hand corner because it's Zorro. I adore that. I, I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, I love it. 
So uh, we'll get into the details of this in, in a second, folks. But before we do that, we need to take a second to thank our sponsor, folks. And that sponsor is you. We sincerely appreciate everyone's support that has helped us through Patreon. Because, you know, running the Fire and Water Podcast Network with so many shows and all the online hosting and all the different services, uh, it costs a lot of money. We've absorbed those costs over the years, but they really grew exponentially recently. And so we launched the Patreon uh, a year ago, by the way, Rob, and uh, shockingly. And you guys just stepped right up at the plate amazingly. And I can honestly say without you guys, the network would not still be on the air. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We really appreciate it. So if you are enjoying Digest Cast, folks, the best way to support the show is by visiting our Patreon. What's that uh, address, Bob? You just call me Bob? I may have called you Bob. Shut up. Keep talking. What is going on with these names tonight? <laughs> William? Bob? What? I ate a lot of nerds candy and I'm drinking Pepsi Zero. I think I'm a little wired. <laughs> Man. And I'm on Sudafed. I'm on Zero Hour hosted by Piscoid. Like, what is going on? <laughs> anyway, the, the Patreon, that's, that's what I call him behind his back. So anyway, the, <laughs> that's what I'm calling it now. Patreon is patreon.com slash FW podcast. Thank you. And uh, you can go there and support the network. And a certain sponsorship tiers, you'll get mentioned on your favorite Fire and Water shows. Just like these folks, David Ace Gutierrez and Gord Tolton. And we've got a special thanks to someone else. Yes, Adam Ackerman, uh, he's a Patreon sponsor, and he's the one who suggested that we discuss the Mark of Zorro movie, which got us all fired up and led to an entire Zorro month. So thank you, Adam. And uh, so again, visit us at Patreon, which is patreon.com slash podcast. So with that out of the way, let's talk a little bit about Zorro and these digests, right? So uh, these things are, just to let you know, these are written by Don McGregor with art by Sidney Lima. And if you, if you listen to the comics episode of Zorro uh, month, we talked about Don McGregor quite a bit because he wrote the Zorro comics for Tops in the early 1990s. Then in 1998, he went on to write the Mask of Zorro movie adaptation for Image Comics. Well, Check this out. This I did not know, Rob, until I was researching for this episode. McGregor also wrote a Zorro newspaper strip that ran for two years starting in April 1999. Did you know there was a Zorro newspaper strip? I had no idea. When when I saw these notes and I saw that it was partly drawn by Tom Yates, yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> what? So, right. Yeah, well, and, Tom, and Todd Smith, too. He's no slouch either. I, well, no, I didn't mean to slight Todd Smith, but Tom Yates is a particular favorite oh, of mine. Yeah. So that, oh, yeah. and, and, and we all know how much Tom Yates loves Zorro. So I was just, I couldn't believe it when I saw that. It blew my mind. I had no idea until I was putting all this together. So, so it was, it lasted about two years and they actually have collected the first year. And uh, I, I went so, the minute I found this out, I was on Amazon and I ordered a used copy of it. So it'll be here in a few weeks. I can't wait. I'm so excited. The second year got solicited as being uh, compiled, but as far as I can tell, that never came out either. So a little frustrating, but once I get the first, once I get that collected first year, I'll let you know how it is. Cause I just cannot wait. You have to so, save that for uh, Zora Month 2 next year. I, you know, we've been noodling about that. I've got some ideas. <laughs> Just saying, Bunny Wigglesworth is not going to talk about himself if someone else doesn't. <clears throat> so, um, Don McGregor wrote these stories. He set the newspaper strip. Those took place actually before the Topps comic series, if you apparently get into the Don McGregor Zorro mythos universe uh, continuity. So he, the newspaper strip takes place before Topps, and that's where this paper cut story just comes in. These take place after the comic strip, but before the Topps comics. Very confusing. But for the most part, Zorro stories, you don't typically need to know that kind of stuff. You know, who cares? It's just a Zorro story. He's going to fight some people. But uh, where, it, where it matters in this one is in the newspaper strip, they actually introduced this very attractive barmaid named Yule- 
I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna try this, folks. All right, we've got hyphen, we've got phonetic spelling here. Eulalia, does that sound right, Rob? I, I guess you, your guess is as good as mine. I appreciate you putting the pronunciation in there. Because yep. when I read these comics, I'm like Eulalia. What? 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 <laughs> the Google was the Google is my friend in this. Okay. So uh, Eulalia, she in the comic strip, she actually uh, is horrible. She got disfigured um, because she helped Zoro against Captain Monasario. So that was very sad that happened in the comic strip. Well, in these paper cut stories, pick up right after that. So even though you don't really need to know all that, they tell you what's going on in the story. It's just sort of interesting that uh, it picks up off the comic strip um, storyline. Interesting. So and, and these paper cuts collections were timed to coincide with the Legend of Zorro movie, so uh, which was the sequel to the Antonio Banderas and uh, Catherine Zeta Jones uh, episode. <laughs> you guys say yeah. like that. Well, I do. Uh, we have a we have a joke around my house. Whenever Antonio Banderas comes up, uh, that's not his name in my house. His name is Antonio Banderas, the Latin heartthrob, because he's just so sexy. I mean, good God, he's just he's sex on two feet. And then he's standing there next to Catherine Zeta Jones. Oh, it's Catherine Zeta Jones. You know, she's also a Latin heartthrob. I mean, my God, they're just two beautiful people. So, <laughs> anyway, so before this. Uh, before someone was kind enough to order these digests and have them mailed to your house, Rob, had you ever heard of them? Were you familiar with them at all? No, and we were talking about what we were going to do for Zorro Month, and you brought it up. You were like, oh, for Digest Cast, we can do the Zorro Digest. And I was like, what Zorro Digest? <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you talking? Okay, so no, I very much appreciate you sending me these because uh, it was nice to be able to read them uh, you know, in my hands. That was great. I actually sit, sat outside on the porch a little bit and, and read these comics, which was fun. And uh, so, yeah, it was, I, like I said, I've never seen them before until, until we did Zorro. Awesome. Well, I, I had seen them in the public library and actually I checked them out one time. They, they have this great uh, the rack of digests at my public library. I absolutely love it. It's just full. It's mostly Marvel digests because, um, you know, Marvel did that larger format kind of digest a few years back with all their Marvel age and Marvel whatever they're called, they're different kid lines. Yeah. So, with it, so they've got a ton of those. They had these Zora ones. They've got some manga mixed in there. But I just, it always thrilled me to see these on the shelf. So I'm, I'm happy that we're having a chance to talk about them. Are they on a, are they on like a little rack? How are they displayed? I'm always fascinated by that. Um, okay, fair enough. It's, it's like a, it's freestanding and it's a, I guess it's a bookshelf. It's basically shelves is what it is. Okay. It's like maybe four shelves high on each side and the books are on there um, with their spines out. So it's gotcha. basically just okay. like a shelf. But, gotcha. uh, yeah. Okay. But it's amazing to have enough to fill it up, you know? Yeah, that's great. That's good on, good on your library for doing that. Our library is amazing. And, folks, if you aren't taking advantage of your public library, you really should. It's, they make it so easy. Besides the fact you can log in and get digital books as well, you can reserve all the stuff online. If they have it across town, they'll ship it to your location. Oh, public library is amazing. All right. Well, so I got a question. Do you want us to do the recaps for both digests and then talk about them, or do you want to talk about them one at a time? Let's do one at a time. Okay. Great. So one thing you got to remember, folks, is these aren't really truly one solid story. They sort of read like it, but they were printed as individual issues, which is part of uh, one of my notes, Rob, is there's a little bit of repetition of stuff throughout the story. But because it it sort of reads like one story. But then when you realize, oh, no, it's definitely issues. That's why certain topics keep getting brought up. So. Mm All right, so the, uh, volume one is called Scars, with an exclamation point. Written by Don McGregor, art by Sidney Lima, coloring by Marcos D. Miranda, lettering by Mark Lehrer, 
editor-in-chief Jim Salakrup. Isn't that, a, isn't that an old Marvel name, if I remember? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Long-time Marvel staffer. That's what I was thinking. Now, these things were on – this one was on the shelves – at least the, the Digest was on the shelves October 1st, 2005. And again, reprints the paper cut Zorro comic issues one through three. So here we go. So the book opens with Zorro and a beautiful woman named Eulalia riding through the hot springs of what will one day be Yellowstone National Park. And they are on the run far, far away from old California as Zorro is seeking safe refuge for Eulalia. The, um, she was, as I mentioned, she was a, a tavern maid who was disfigure, disfigured by daring to help Zorro against Captain Montessario. Now, Eulalia bears a scar across her cheek from her, her heroic act and must face the fact that she will never be the beauty she once was. Now, no matter how far Zorro and Eulalia have ridden, Montessaro and his men were not far behind. They were always on their trail. So they end up hiding from their pursuers among the unpredictable geysers of the Yellowstone. They must have uh, hit pretty well, because as far as I can tell, Montessaro is not in any of these books. He never catches up with them. Uh, so maybe he did in the third volume. I don't know. So while they're in Yellowstone, Zorro and Eulalia, they meet this middle-aged couple, an old map maker named Theory, I guess is how you say his name, and his wife, Amelia. No, I'm sorry, uh, Emily. Unfortunately, the couple are running, again, I'm horrible with names tonight. Unfortunately, the couple are running for their lives from the murderous local fur trappers named Ripclaw and the big bad named Lucifer Trap. Now, these fur trappers don't want any maps made of Yellowstone because it might attract other fur trappers, which would impede their swift trade of pelts with Europe. Zorro agrees to aid Theory and uh, Emily, and, uh, and together they must survive hunters and vicious wolves and the ferocious landscape of Yellowstone that surrounds them. All the while, there's this romantic tension building between Zorro and Eulalia. Uh, there's even a great kiss, and as they kiss, this geyser goes off in front of them. It's fantastic. Anyway, it all builds with this huge climactic battle between Zorro and the trappers as they snow ski down a mountain while they're being chased by an avalanche. It's pretty amazing. So uh, lots of sword fighting and pistol fighting and all that kind of stuff. So it made for a fun, fun action-adventure story. So what do you think, everybody? All right, uh, we'll start off with the stuff that I liked about it. And first of all, uh, I mean, I can't, again, I came into this completely blank slate. You know, I had no idea what I was about to read. And I was pleasantly surprised that Don McGregor, a writer with, of course, whom I'm familiar with, wrote a lot of Marvel comics, Black Panther, among other things. Um, this setting is not what I expected for a Zorro story, you know? Right, like exactly. I mean, and, and I don't mean this in any sense in, in a negative way, but it reads very much like a Conan story. Uh, mm, where he, okay. you know, he's got the he's got the comely barmaid, you know, <laughs> villain that he's there's a villain that's chasing him. That's usually because Conan has stolen some wizard's amulet or something. Uh, so there's that. But it, it, just the setting. I mean, it's not a, it's not an urban setting or or you know what I mean. Like even the setting in. I mean, yeah, it's old California, but it's up in the mountains. So. No, it's it's not California at all. Yellowstone's right. not in California. Right, right. I mean, so I mean, it's well, I just mean it's it's not it's not. What am I trying to say? I don't mean literally the ge- geographic, but like it's the settings in terms of the landscape. It's just not what I expected from a Zorro story at all like in the movie and all stuff he's dealing with people's and people in buildings and things like that and yep. there's none of that here um so i appreciated that that it was just very very different i like eulalia as a character uh i thought that was pretty cool i like the idea that you know she's this obviously beautiful woman but she's feeling horrible about herself because she just has that single scar across her cheek and you know to, to, of course to anybody else they're like actually you're still beautiful but she's scarred by that uh in numerous ways is the reason why the book is called scars um, so I liked that stuff a lot, and I thought it was interesting that McGregor decided to do something very different with this character 
than expected. He didn't just like rewrite the movie or do another version of it. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, there is some stuff that I'm not as thrilled with, but we can wait to get into that. Yeah, so let me touch on the, the other positives. Yeah, I totally agree that the setting was very, very interesting. Um, I love like the set pieces. I mean, you got cliffs, you got uh, geysers going off. You know, you got this amazing or uh, almost James Bond like ski chase down the side of a mountain while they're swashbuckling. I mean, that is super exciting. I mean, it really genuinely felt like a, a big Hollywood blockbuster kind of action piece. Really did. And I, with the avalanche chasing them, absolutely love that. Uh, I do want to talk about the whole setting being not old California, but I guess we'll save that for the, the other side of the conversation. Did you notice, uh, by the way, the only time in the digest when he did his trademark Z? Did you notice where that was? Oh, where was that? I saw it, but I don't remember it. Now. Oh, okay. I, I, I didn't notice it the first time I read it. I caught it the second time. At the very end, after they beat the avalanche, he's battling the guy, Ripclaw, and they're on this ice bridge. And Zoro weakens the ice bridge with his sword. But if you look carefully, he's doing this Z. That's how he weakens the ice bridge, is by drawing a Z on the ice bridge. Goes, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. So uh, I was like, oh, there it is. Okay, cool. So I, I dug that. Uh, Eulalia, absolutely beautiful, obviously. I, I, the, the art in this, one thing we haven't touched on, the art is very in the style of uh, manga. It's, yeah. uh, it's not pure manga, but there's definitely heavily influenced. What else was I going to say? Oh gosh, just the boy, the boiling bodies of water, all that kind of stuff was super. I, I enjoyed the romance actually, because you know that is one thing that Zoro's always got. He's always got romantic stuff going on, and I really enjoyed that developing between those two characters. Like I believed it, and I, I enjoyed it. We should talk about the other side of this conversation, shouldn't we? <laughs> all right. Well, the, the stuff that I was not as thrilled about uh, art wise, you mentioned the art by Sydney Lima. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not. I'm just not sure whether Zoro fits the manga style artwork, but but putting that aside, I really wish, um, and I know that's not realistic because that's just not the marketplace, but I really wish this story had been in black and white. I actually think it would have looked better in black and white. I don't like the coloring at all. I don't think the all the, the tones in this match the artwork style, I think there's just the artwork style was very simple. And again, I mean that in a good way. And I just don't think it matches up with these sort of quasi realistic tones. And I actually think it would have looked better just in classic manga style, which is black and white with maybe some gray tones put in. Um, so that, that was a, you know, but again, it's color comics. Basically that's how they're done in America are color comics. So I'll, when, I'll argue that point with you. I, I actually kind of like the coloring because it shows the stark, Yellowstone contrast, like seeing the uh, sulfur pools and and the vapor trails and the blue geysers and stuff like that. I I feel like there's a lot of like black and white and gray in the book, and then when the color splashes, it's that much more effective. Like there's a blood splatter. So I I'll, I'll argue the point with you. I kind of like the color. Okay. Maybe, yeah. maybe not this particular colorist, but I, I I think the color adds a lot to it. So all right, maybe maybe I think that maybe the coloring would have been fine had it been applied a little differently. We've established over many many podcasts that I'm a big fan of flat color. I'm not yeah. really that big on uh, all these tones. I just think this is not terribly necessary. And then the other thing visually I didn't like is again the I hate to pick on these people, but the <laughs> the lettering. Um, I don't like the lettering at all. Uh, it's all done. It's all typeset, which is again, that's what's going to, that's how it's going to be done. Now it is not going to be done by hand, but there's no, um, there's no variation in the lettering. Hmm. There's no, there's no italics. There's no bold. It's all just the exact same typeface throughout the entire book. And this is a very wordy story. Don McGregor is a kind of on the (laughs) side. 
yeah. in terms of how much he writes. And that can be a good thing or bad thing. But there's points where there's points in the story where there's just giant chunks of text with no visual breakup. I mean, even regular comics, not regular, but you know what I mean? Like even floppies have italicized, have you know, slightly bolder letters right. to emphasize, emphasize words. Yeah. Everything is said in the same exact tone, no matter what they're talking about. And it's just like, huh? Okay. Uh, so that those, those two creative choices are a little, a little, seem a little strange to me. But I didn't, it, I didn't notice it, the typeface. It, yeah. It didn't ruin it for me, but it was just like, eh, this, I think this could have been done, like, you know, a little bit. Like I like the sound, the sound effects, sound effects are great. Yeah, but just the the balloon lettering just got to me a little, just a little monotone. So I didn't notice the typesetting, but one thing I did notice was once in a while the bal- the bal- word balloons weren't laid out in the most natural way. Like you'd be reading a scene, I'd be like, I I think that word balloon maybe goes before that one, and yet the natural order, you, you kind of read them out of order a little bit. So I noticed that not a lot, maybe two, three times, but it was enough to catch my attention. Now, we should talk about uh, Don McGregor's writing style. Yes. I, I mentioned this on the other comics episode because I went in regard to the Topps comics. He likes to write, and he likes to write a lot. And he probably needs someone to come along and explain to him that more words are not necessarily better. <laughs> Especially in uh, a comic like this, which is again designed for a younger market, and is a little light on the plot. You know, it's it's more it's a big action book, is what it is. You know, so maybe maybe the giant chunks of text, and we do mean giant chunks of text. Maybe that wasn't necessarily necessary. I I mean, like I said I did appreciate some of the verisimilitude that he brought to it, like the whole angle about the fur trappers. Mm-hmm. I thought that like they don't want maps because it might attract other fur trappers and impede, as you wrote, to impede the swift trade of pelts like yep. that's that's kind of an obscure detail obviously that's something that mcgregor probably got from research which again i appreciate like that's you mentioned these are these are aimed at kind of younger readers if that's set of paper cuts is stock and trade uh but as i thought that was an interesting thing to learn just you know like though that's a, that's a detail that would have been prevalent in this time in america so i thought that was an interesting idea and mcgregor drops a lot of that stuff in there and there are parts in this story where there are no there is no dialogue where it is a big action scene Mm -hmm. they they make a lot of use of the them skiing around and stuff like again it's just fun to see zorro in snow right it's not something you ever expect to see because he's always in old california for the butcher it's always warm there he's you know you don't see him dealing with snow very much so i liked all that stuff and and i think what you're talking about some of the stuff with the balloons are hard to read it's because there's so much text and yeah. I think, you know, he, he wrote the script and then the, the poor letterer, uh, Mark Lever probably got that. And he's like, oh, my God, how am I supposed to fit in five word balloons in one panel <laughs> and not cover up heads? You know, what yeah, am I supposed to true. do here? So. Could be. There's there's a particular moment in uh, what's in the second digest. So I'm, I'm sneaking ahead. But but it happens in the first one as well, where there are scenes that are clearly very, very brief. They couldn't have took more than like a second or two. And yet there's like five word balloons the characters are saying to each other right. as they're rushing to something. So it gets to be where you're like, okay, this clearly they couldn't have said all of these words in right. this moment. So um, uh, two other quick things. So it is kind of interesting um, that – well, actually, let's just focus on the one thing, which is the old California thing. So we talk about the positive. It is nice to see Zorro in a different setting. I totally agree with that. It was fun. But now with both of these books not being set, uh, well, both of them are in Yellowstone. So a Zorro story, not in old California, without government oppression, without Don Diego, is it still Zorro? I got to ask. I, uh, I right. It does lose a lot of his, 
you know, what energizes the character is that he just becomes sort of just a generic adventure guy. Yeah. Now, I I wouldn't trade the skiing in this one or there's a river scene in the next one. I wouldn't trade those for anything in the world. I mean, I'm like, I'm so excited by those Zorro scenes. I want to see them in a movie now because they're both so exciting. But at the same time, it's like I I, I have a hard time deciding whether it's still Zorro. Now, there are things in the story where, like, they talk about him as Zorro. They talk about him as Don Diego and how he doesn't, like, he won't let her call him Don Diego. He insists she calls him Zorro, even though they're in Yellowstone, miles and miles and miles and miles away from home, and nobody knows either one of them. He's still very adamant about maintaining a Zorro identity. Why do you think that is? That's a good question. He, yeah, I don't exactly know. I don't get it. I don't have a beat on this character yet. Uh, even after reading these two these two sets of comics, so yeah, I don't know why he's sort of he's kind of pulling like a Batman thing almost, right? <laughs> even though she knows who he is, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I do want to have one more compliment. Oh sure, and, and then one more nitpick before we wrap up here. And the nitpick uh, is not specific to paper cuts. It's I've seen this virtually across almost all trade paperbacks sometimes or comics the way they do this. But anyway, I love how the story ends uh, where he says, scars fade, uh, uh, Eulalia, scars fade. And then I like that the last panel has no dialogue. Like mm-hmm. I think that, that nice, he just gives it a moment to breathe. Yeah. I like that. I like that. It's just like, hmm, just let the moment sit as, as Zorro and, and, and her watch uh, the, the fur trappers go fade off in the distance. I think that's great. Then we go right to a preview of the next issue, and it's just some pages from the comic. And again, this is amazing. This is a super, super nitpick, but it's just something I've never, I think, I've ever mentioned in any of the shows we've ever done. I when it, when a comic does like a preview or something, or I hate that it's immediately following the story. Okay. And then it feels like it. The story's continue. Like you read it, and you're like, wait, I, you know, because like when I was I was reading it. I missed the top part where it says special advance preview of the Zorro graphic novel number two at the top. I just kept uh, reading and I'm like, wait, the story's not okay. Now they're skiing. And then I kept reading a couple more pages. I'm like, wait, we're we in a whole nother story. And then I got to the end. It says don't Missouri number two. I'm like, wait, what's happening. And then I saw the thing at the top. I just wish they had put a page in ad or something in between the end of the story and the preview for the next story. But sure. I, have seen, I have seen that in other trades as well. I have a Batman year one collection where they stick a pin up at the end of the page where Jim Gordon says, you know, should be here any minute. And I'm like, Oh no, it, it, you're, you're crapping on that nice little beat beat there at the end. That's a very minor thing. But anyway, like I said, I do like the ending. Oh. I, I think oh. the final panel with no dialogue is nice. I got to say, I, I got to give you the best example I've ever seen of this. I'm holding it in my hands. I just grabbed it off my bookshelf while you were talking. Uh, of the final page getting spoiled by the next thing. Okay. Um, th- this is not like the next story. It's just a total like slapper, like a, a whiplash moment. Like, do you remember, did you ever read The Death of Captain Marvel? Sure. Yeah. Powerful story, right? I mean, really powerful. Yes. And, it, you know, yes. he dies and he goes off into the light and you watch the heart monitor, boo you know, that whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. That's the last page. It's really powerful. In my collected edition, my trade paperback, which is the life and death of Captain Marvel, it ends on that page. And I mean, you're just, you're, you're emotionally broken. And that's on the left-facing page. Right? Oh, God. The I'm, right-facing I'm, 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 page. I'm gearing up to what I'm about to hear. The right-facing page is a full-page, very bright ad for 
Ritz Bits Crackers <laughs> in a trade paperback. There is a Ritz Bits Crackers ad. In a and trade it's, paperback? I know, right? And it's and it's right after he dies, and then it's crackers with a cup of milk and some, mmm, that's amazing, kind of chocolate. Is what, I was like, what? Wow. <laughs> wow, what a, what a whiplash moment of that was. Well, see, yeah, now I'm, all right, I don't feel so bad now bringing it up because that, it, it just, I like it when stories are given a chance, moments are given a chance to breathe, whether it's in a movie or any piece of entertainment. I just like it that it's like, hey, if you're really hitting something and you need it just to have a period at the end of the sentence, just give it a moment. And, mm-hmm. you know, there, there are other pages in this book that they could have put in like there's an ad for nancy drew comics they could have put that in there just to give it that kind of like okay now we're moving on to something else as opposed to them slammed together like that it's a very very minor thing but i figured why not mention it well i see what you mean because when i was reading it um i did eventually pick up on that it said zorro preview at the top because but yeah it just does seem like it's the next page Yeah. yeah And, and you've had a very nice conclusion to the story. Right. I mean, obviously, Tom McGregor and, and Papercuts publishes his three individual comics, but they knew what they were doing. They knew because Papercuts trade is is trades is doing little collections, so they knew what they were doing. So yeah, I totally get it. Yeah. So we've, as Rob said, we've done some nitpicking. However, I would tell you this is super fun if you want to introduce Sora to a kid. I mean, you do lose a lot of the traditional old California stuff, but it's still a great action story, you know? And uh, I think anybody would enjoy it. Whether you're an adult or a kid, it's well worth it. So definitely and seek it out. I like the cover, too. We didn't mention the cover. Just oh, the it simple, is good, isn't it? Simple image of Zorro with his sword pointing, you know, forced perspective into the camera. It's nice, and it's a good shot. And there's snow coming down around it, which, right, is, which right. is a nice touch. So. Cool. All right. Well, let's move on to book two, which is called Drownings. Uh, and it's all the same team. Don McGregor, Sidney Lima, Marcos de Miranda, Mark Allaire, and Jim Sarah Krupp. This was on shelves January 10th, 2006. And it reprints the paper cut series Zorro numbers four to six. So Zora and Eulalia are skiing down the Gallatin Mountains and quickly find themselves in trouble when the ice bridge they're traveling across collapses. Meanwhile, not far away, uh, near the Yellowstone River, a man and a woman named Bert and Milena are traveling in a covered wagon. We soon learn that they are on a run. We are there on the run from Milena's ex, a violent man named Dennis. Dennis is not pleased that Milena has run away and is hunting them down, literally. He gets them in his rifle scope and fires, missing the couple but killing a nearby buffalo. Zora uses his whip and fast reflexes to save himself and Eulalia from falling to their death. Just as he gets her to safety, the cliff they were resting on collapses and falls into a gorge. After Bert and Milena escape, Dennis returns to his camp, and awaiting from there are his brother and Milena's mother, who foolishly likes Dennis and can't understand why her daughter ran away. After some more riding, Zorro and Eulalia stop at a hot spring for a quick dip. Zorro goes shirt off, mask on, but that doesn't stop her from taking the masked hero in her arms. They kiss, and maybe more. Oh, I think they did. Bert and Milena meet up with a friend named Red Lightning, who lives in a floating cabin and agrees to take them downriver. Unfortunately, when they stop at a nearby shore, Dennis is waiting for them and shoots red lightning. Zorro overhears the shooting and investigates. Zorro's arrival scares Dennis off. Soon, he is back on the hunt. Zorro, Eulalia, join the others on red lightning cabin, continue down the river. Dennis once again attacks but drowns when the cabin hits some rocks and breaks up. Melina explains to her mother how awful and violent Dennis was, something she has now seen for herself. In the process, Melina has seen that Bert would risk his life for her, and tells her mother that he is the man she loves and understands him now more than ever. Eulalia comments that she has experienced something similar, now having seen Zorro without his mask. Our hero retorts that thanks to all they've been through together, she has seen the real man underneath, mask or no. 
All right, so Shag, uh, what's what's your thought of uh, Drownings? I actually enjoyed Volume 2 more than Volume 1. Um, no, I, I shouldn't say that. It makes it sound like I didn't enjoy Volume 1. I, I just think of the two, I, I felt like Volume 2, maybe they kind of got their feet under them, and I felt like it was a more solid story. Because like the, the bad guys in the first one, uh, Ripclaw and uh, whatever, the, like, uh, Lucifer Trap. I was felt it like the, were, wasn't Ripclaw in that Star Trek DC comic? Uh, sadly, Ripclaw was actually in Image Comics in uh, either Wetworks or Youngblood or I don't know, one of those, one of those Wildcats, whatever. Um, so for me, like, it, oh, no, Cyberforce. Sorry, that's what it was. Anyway, because I know Derek Crabb was already writing me an email to correct me, but um, <laughs> for me, like those two villains, they were kind of generic. I mean, there was it was a it was a great story about the, the fur trappers and stuff, but these villains, they're horrible, despicable. But I feel like they're a little more fleshed out and they're a little more complex as people. I mean, they they have different facets of their personality that I feel like are a little more realistic. I felt like the action, I felt like there was a little more of it in this one. I mean, I don't know that anything's ever going to beat that skiing down the mountain being chased by an avalanche in the last one, but this one's got them falling down that shaft. It's got some of the, the, the river rapids. It's got that waterfall moment when he swings in front of the waterfall mm-hmm. as, as the, as the raft is going over and he catches her. That's like, oh my God, that is such an exciting big blockbuster movie moment that I, I desperately want to see that so bad. So uh, all in all, I just, I, I think, uh, I felt like volume two was a little put back, to, uh, was put together. A little bit better. Uh, yeah, I agree. I actually like volume two more than than volume one. I did notice that the the the, the basic plot construction is the same, where it's you know Zoro and Eulalia, and they meet another couple that yeah. are off having an adventure. And I'm like, when I when I read the second book back to back, I thought, is that maybe? I thought, is that what this series is? That like Zoro meets different people, different couple. Like you know what I mean? Like <laughs> instead of it being a crutch, it's like, well, maybe that's the format. You know, that it's like Zorro meets people. But, okay, maybe not. I haven't – again, we haven't read the third volume. Well, I, 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 I felt like each each one of those two couples' interaction was supposed to sort of inform Zorro and Eulalia's developing relationship as well. Right, as, so. right. But, so, I mean, it just seems a little odd to me. I'm like, okay, he keeps running into people way out in the middle of nowhere. But, okay, <laughs> that's, that's fine. Uh, but, yeah, I liked this story. I liked – uh, I liked the, the two characters. I liked Milena and Bert. I just thought they were good, more interesting. I liked the somewhat social commentary that McGregor, who was very big on putting social commentary uh, in his comics, uh, Black, as I mentioned, Black Panther, uh, yeah. and his horror stories and stuff, um, uh, that, that the idea that Milena was you know basically betrothed to this guy, and he's got money, and he's got stats. They mentioned that he's a police officer. And and so he's a sort of quote unquote upstanding member of his society, but he also beats Milena. He's a drunk, and you know on paper and in, from all appearances, uh, they have a like a regular happy marriage of what constitutes such a thing in the late 1800s. But she's you know he treats her horribly, and she runs away with this guy Bert, who is like you know frankly they're kind of like a one of us, you know, he's kind of like a sensitive type and he's not terribly handy or things like, you know what I mean? He's more of like <laughs> he's an artist. Sen- he's an artist. He's more like a sensitive dude, but he loves Milena and he'll, as they say, he steps up to the plate when he has to, to protect her. So I liked all that. And I liked that the mother is kind of blind to all that. I thought that was a fun thing. Um, I, I don't know if you really needed the brother character, uh, oh right, right. Necessarily, I mean, you know, it was like, okay, what he—I don't know why he really adds to the story necessarily. I thought it would have been fine just to have Dennis and the mother-in-law. I think it was just for the final fights why they needed him. I think so. I think so. Uh, just to make it a little more even, obviously, yeah. because you know, fighting and whatever. And uh, so I liked all—I liked all that stuff. So I actually thought this was a 
a better story than the first one. It just, it just had more resonance to it. The action is better. I like Zoro and Eulalia on the ice bridge. That was pretty cool. And then the, when the, then the cliff collapses, but that was all really well done. And so, yeah, I, I genuinely really liked it. And uh, in terms of the cover, I have something to mention about that too, is that this cover I think is, and I, of course, I haven't seen the original issues. So I don't know if this is a cover from one of the original issues that they've then just put on hmm. the trade or it's an original yeah. cover, but it's, it's, it's Zorro under the water. And I mean, they said it's called drowning, uh, drownings. And so you're thinking, Oh, and, but the way that it's composed, there are these hands around Zorro's neck. Now you have to assume that that's someone else's hands, but right. you can't see that other person. So when you first see it to me, it looks like Zorro's drowning himself underwater. Like why stop doing that? Zorro, uh, just let yourself go. Or maybe he's just gas, like he could be grabbing his own throat, being like, "I can't breathe." But yeah, right. I see what you're saying. Yeah, okay. it's just it's. But I mean, in terms of the the coloring and stuff like that, that's a good that's a good image. Uh, or I think it's an effective cover. Like the the first first one's obviously more like a poster image because it's the first one. But I like this cover too. Uh, and also, it's pretty, like, it's pretty disturbing. Yeah, and I also like the the detail. I thought that was funny. Uh, there are a couple things that I enjoyed about it. Was I like that when Zorro is finally introduced, or he runs a, a foul of Dennis. He's like, there's a bad guy named Dennis. That's the name, <laughs> Dennis. Like all of you know, all of his bad guys have these very like, you know, very dramatic names. But he's just like, Den- I just like that. He's that was just funny. And then, to be fair, Dennis's last name was Scorcher. Well, that's yeah. There you go. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and then I also like the detail of where Eulalia is like. How are, what are we going to do with the horses? And he's like, oh, Tornado is going to meet us at the bottom of the mountain. He'll, he knows how to get down there. I'm like, that's a pretty smart horse. That he, he can, Take that, uh, Silver. Tornado, yeah, I mean, tornado, Tornado's better. <laughs> he, can, he can be at the top of a mountain and just, what, I guess presumably smack the horse on the rump and the horse, Tornado, knows where to go and even says, your horse will follow him. I'm like, that is, that is a very smart horse. I thought that was just like a funny detail. And I did like the sex scene, the almost sex scene. Again, if, if these are stories are aimed at younger children, um, they're obviously not going to be too explicit, but it gets no pun intended, kind of steamy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, Zoro takes his shirt off and, and then the whole bit about, again, this woman thinks that she's horribly scarred, which is, yeah, you're like, well, no, you're still gorgeous for pizza. Well, yeah, they, 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 they don't. Uh, they don't back off on that on the, on the style of the art. She is absolutely stunning. She does have the scar on her cheek. She actually has one on her forehead as well, but they only draw it sometimes. It's like when they yeah. feel like it, they include it. But she also has purple hair, by the way, which I, I don't know whether to love or feel like it's manga style with the crazy mm-hmm. hair. I don't know, It's but it stands out, purple hair. So I want to go back to the uh, the, the social commentary stuff. I had a little follow-up on that. So the, uh, there's, there's the theme throughout the whole thing, yes, about um, – I don't have her name in front of me. Uh, Malena. Malena. Uh, Malena being beaten by Dennis. It's terrible. It's very, very upsetting. And they're very um, – they're not graphic about it, but they describe it enough. And since this was published in issue form – this is where this comes up. I mentioned at the top of the show. Since this was published in issue form, they reiterate it three times or, or so in the story because right. obviously it was intended for each individual issue. But it – and given McGregor's excessive amount of text – it actually gets a bit overwhelming. Um, not saying it shouldn't be in there, but it's just like, I, it makes you feel really, really freaking horrible. I mean, it's just like, oh my God, this is absolutely horrible. Um, and then there's another thing in there that the mother, um, Melena's mother, is sort of interesting. She's super overbearing, 
super overbearing and very, very, very judgmental of her daughter. And yes, she's been tricked by Dennis, but she's still everything out of her mouth is critical of her daughter. And if if you've ever been married and you have a mother-in-law, you know exactly where this is coming from. I'm just saying, but uh, <laughs> at least in my experience, um, it just uh, it was very sad. And now I'm happy they made up at the end. But it also you're looking at this going, oh my gosh, she's been sort of henpecked her whole life. You know, first from her mother uh, who taught her to hate her father, and then this awful guy Dennis. And it's like it's I, it makes you very happy that she has found uh, Bert. That uh, you know, there's a chance for real love there. So that makes me happy. Now, Eulalia demonstrates something in both graphic novels that really sticks out. She is insanely jealous of any other woman. <laughs> like, wait, like, what did you feel? Did you feel like that was over the top or out of left field? But I mean, like, she would make really nasty comments about, like, that overly bosomed old lady. You know, I mean, whatever. It's like, whoa. And even Zoro was like, wow, you're, you're, you're a little harsh there. Yeah, I thought that was – maybe that was something he was going to build to in later stories. But, yeah, that seemed a little like – what? Because, you know, like they established that like they're not in a relationship. I know that they mess around. And, again, maybe you can surmise that they had sex or they didn't have sex or whatever. But, yeah, that seemed a little it, – it, she again, she to me, she's so much a character from a Conan comic. <laughs> and you can't picture that in a Conan comic where, you know, some 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 barmaid is like, hey, Conan, how dare you? Like, no, that doesn't work. So, yeah. But it, I, I – he didn't go off and fool around with these other people. All he did was, like, rescue them from dying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I do like that line where he says, I hear a woman scream and I have to investigate. Like, he can't help himself. <laughs> I did think it was, again, an interesting approach that Zorro these, – these stories really aren't about Zorro. I mean, they are on a, on, on a certain level because he is – him and his relationship with Eulalia is developing over the course of these issues. But it really is about – it's almost like – and this sounds like an, an insult, and I don't mean it to be. But it's almost like kind of like a love boat fantasy island approach. But like <laughs> we're like we're like the guest stars are the people uh, with the stories. Okay. And, and, and Zorro is there to play host, you know, a little. Like he's like, okay – we're gonna. I'm gonna get involved in the story a little bit, but it's really the story of Bert and Milena or Thierry, and I forget the name of the other person. But uh, you know, it's more about them and what they go through, and Zorro just sort of interacts with them. And again, I don't know. It's a fan that, of Stranger Comic. Yeah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably a re- really good way to put it. Yeah. Uh, again, I don't know. Maybe if this series had gone on, uh, McGregor would have landed Zorro and Eulalia and some permanent location and it would have changed but it's a, it's an interesting approach it's considering all the zoro stuff that we've been talking about this is probably like the most different version of it that we've we've covered to this point yeah well, i think taking him out of old california is the biggest piece of it because so much of zoro is don diego's position in Los Angeles and his responsibility as a, a caballero to the community and Zorro's responsibility to try and stop, you know, Montessario and all that. So I think without that setting, it does make it a little challenging. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned some of the, the, the really long exposition. This is where it happens is, is, is in this issue when they're falling down the ice bridge collapse and they're falling down the chasm, right? I mean, there is like just war and peace amounts of text as they're falling, it would have could have only taken maybe two seconds for them to fall, you know, as far as they did, because otherwise they'd be at the bottom of the chasm. So that's the kind of stuff that sort of jumped out of me. But again, it's you know, it's comics, it's fun. Who cares? But it just it, it couldn't help but see it. And I do want to mention, since this ostensibly is an episode of Digest Cast, uh, <laughs> we want to talk about the format. Uh, yeah. You sent me you sent me the the first and second issues, of course. The first one's soft cover, and the second one is hardcover. Oh, yours is hardcover. My, my both are soft. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to use that clip before. Um, So, uh, but anyway, yeah, the first one's soft cover, uh, second one's hardcover. They're really handsome little books. Like, they're nice additions. Um, And in terms of them in the digest format, like, I didn't, I think uh, Sidney Lima's work actually condenses pretty well. Mm -hmm. I've mentioned in previous episodes of Digest Cast, there are some digests I just can't read anymore because my eyes have just got too old to read. Old man Kelly. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're heading there. Um, but, (laughs) but this, these, these worked really well and they're very durable, which I like. Like they're, they're, you know, just in terms of the paper stock, like they're nice little books and paper cuts did a nice job of sort of, blending a classic digest format with manga, uh, making them, putting them in a format that a lot of young people recognize as, Oh, I'm familiar with this thing. Uh, so I think they're, they're really nice little books and it's a shame that this series didn't last longer that apparently they're just, they just did one more and that was it. That's too bad. Cause these are, again, these are nice little books. Well, the license for Zoro bounce around quite a bit, and we yeah. talked about this some on the comic episode. So, what probably happened was they finished these, and they may not have sold as much as they wanted, and and but uh, eventually it lands back with uh, another publisher. So, I think Paper Cuts just wasn't able to do it anymore. So, I, I, in fact, I don't know that they can even publish these anymore. I'm not sure. Mm. So, if you want to get Paper Cuts money on new stuff, go buy Only Living Boy and Only Living Girl. Just saying. I seconded, yes. Yep. So, I mean, those are the digest. They're we. I've, I've had a lot of fun with them. Again, they're they're a little off the beaten path for us with digest cast, but that's okay. It's the right size, and uh, again, it fits with Zora Month, and it's been a lot of fun. And I, there's a lot to love in this. Again, the setting is so exciting. You know, the, I get the geysers, the boiling water, the avalanches, the 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 racing rapids, and you know, so the, it's a lot of really interesting set pieces. That's very different for Zoro, and uh, I enjoyed. It. I'm glad we had a chance to read these because I I. Don't know that I would have picked these. I read them from the library years ago. I don't know that I would have picked it back up again. Yeah, as I said at the top of the show, I had no idea these existed, and it was it was nice to read something. I just came in completely blank. I was like, oh wow, this is totally not what I expected. And and again, Don McGregor. Like, I'm just glad Don McGregor is out. Was still cracking stories out because he was a great writer. And I'm I give I will say I've not kept up with a lot of the stuff that he has done in the relatively recent past. But that's cool that he's a chance to to do these and. I'm always in favor of more companies producing more comics, you mm-hmm. know, like more, it shouldn't always just be three or four companies. So I'm glad that paper cuts is out there doing these things. I'm glad that they do uh Nancy drew, like there should be a Nancy drew comic or what, you know what I mean? I'm glad they, exactly. of, course, of course, we're very thrilled that they work with David Galler for here for only living boy and only living girl, but they have these other licenses that seem pretty cool. And so I like that they've, you know, they've kind of, gotten these properties that maybe would have been forgotten by other publishers and they're doing these and they're aim- again aimed at younger readers which is great yeah they're a great publisher they've got a lot of variety out there so definitely check that out well folks that is rob and i's uh we're going to close this down on digest cast but remember zoro month isn't over yet tomorrow on fw presents you can check out chris franklin's or as i call him chris williams uh his 1950s zoro discussion about the zoro tv show guy williams so exciting myself and ryan daly uh had a blast doing that so now, as we mentioned, you know, we got kind of sidetracked by Zoro Month this episode because we, we had already planned a different Digest cast. So we are still on track for that, folks. So the next episode of Digest cast will address Best of DC number 61, which was Year's Best Comic Stories of 1984. So uh, it's got a lot of great stories in here. Rob, why don't you start us off? What's in there? Uh, Swamp Thing, The Anatomy Lesson by Alan Moore and Steve Bissett. Because every kid should read that from the grocery store. Uh, <laughs> Superman story by Marv Wolfman and Gil Kane. 
Sergeant Rock by Robert Kaniger. Legion of Superheroes by Paul Levitz and Keith Giffen. The Green Lantern Corps by Len Wein and Gil Kane. Blue Devil by Gary Cohn, Dan Michigan, and Paris Collins, baby. The New Teen Titans by Wolfman and Perez, of course. And Atari Force by Jerry Conway and Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his, his name. name. Now, folks, if you don't have this digest, you're going to need to go break into Rob's apartment because I have been circling eBay looking for other uh, another copy of this thing, and they don't go for less than like $25. It's crazy. And I think it's because it's the first reprint of the anatomy list would be my guess. But uh, anyway, we'll talk about it, and we'll have you know uh, your ability to follow along as we talk through it. Don't worry. So I, I have a, a very vicious attack cat living here, so yeah. – Try and break into my house and still digest. It's good. Um, <laughs> well, folks, that's going to do it. Uh, Rob, where can they leave feedback on this episode? At our website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. Awesome. And uh, on the next episode, we will cover your feedback from the last episode of DigestCast and this one. So we'll do a double dose next time. And don't forget, you can go out to iTunes, leave us a review. And we are on Twitter as uh, what? DigestCast? Is that right, Rob? At DigestCast, yep. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, that's going to do everyone. But remember, as always, big things come in small packages. On guard, senor. Fight, weakling. Fight, coward. Fight! (laughs) That for robbing a poor man of his bread. Look, senor. On the forehead. The mark of Zorro. (laughs) Zorro.